Hey, welcome to Cross Creek On Demand. We are so glad you are here. My name is John. I'm the lead pastor. We created Cross Creek to be a church for people who don't normally go to church. And so we've designed our Sunday environment, including our online environment, to be a safe place where people can discover God's love for them. We would love to connect with you when you are ready. Go ahead and scroll down and you can click ask a question, ask for prayer. Maybe you could find out how you could get here on a Sunday evening to join us live. But we would love just to be a part of your journey in discovering God's love. When you're ready, we would love to see you in person. Until then, why don't you go ahead and click subscribe so you can be updated on Cross Creek's most recent messages. Thanks for joining us. All right, so who do you want to be? We are uh, in part three of a new series for a new year called Who Do You Want to Be? Kind of talking about how, you know, we all want to be something. There's a reason we, uh, we make New Year's resolutions, right? Because we know who we want to be, and we kind of have an idea how to get there. But the main thing is we know that there's a gap between who we want to be and who we actually are right now. So that's what we're talking about, is who do you actually want to be? And that there's, there's this gap. And so let's, let's think about it. What did you actually, this probably would have been a good question for, for the guys up here. By the way, if you're watching online, you don't know what I'm talking about because we played a fun game, but you'll have to come live to see that. So, but we're glad you're watching. Thanks for watching or listening on our, uh, our podcast. But think about it. What did you actually want to be doing when you reached this age? I know. What did, what did you want to be doing when you reached this age? Well, watching a football game, not sitting in church. I understand. Okay, let's get over that. You're here. You're, it's, it's happening. All right? But think about it. I wanted, you know, think about, like for me, I wanted to, I'll, I'll bear my soul. I wanted to be a rock star growing up. I really did. And I, I thought I had a chance. And then I heard other people play guitar. And I was like, well, okay, I'll play for a church. And that'll be good enough. But I wanted to be a rock star. And I you know, became something even more exciting, a pastor. And most people would be like, yeah, right, okay. But for me, it is. But, you know, I get to study. It's, any, it's fun. But, you know, I wanted to be a, a doctor. But I'm just uh, fill in the blank, right? <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, by the time I was 60, I wanted to have accomplished this. Or by the time I was, I was 40, I wanted to have been promoted to, to manager or, or CEO or whatever, right? Or um, I know there's some of us, some of you out there, not me, but I thought retirement would be like this, this wonderful dream or this, this wonderful thing, but you know, it's, it's just really become not what I expected. Like, what am I supposed to do now? Well, I have a lawn that needs mowing. Anyway. Or I'm just, you know, I'm just trying to get through school, right? I don't, someday, maybe, someday I want to be able to do something great, something that really matters, but right now I just, I just have to finish school. See, there's, there's a gap between who we want to be and who we are. And I think at some point in our lives we've all said, or maybe we say now, you know, I want to do something I'm passionate about. I want to devote my life to something I really believe in. I want to get up in the morning excited to go to work. I want to get up in the morning knowing that I'm making a difference. We want to have that passion. That's a good thing. We want to have that passion, be, be excited about our, our day, have a reason to get out of bed. But if you think about most work, what we call work, right, things we have to do that we don't always want to do, but we need to do it, it's hard to have passion when there's no compelling purpose. 
a lot of the time, we don't know the purpose of our work. We just know we have to get it done. We just have to do it. Something, you know, you, see, you want purpose that you care about. If you, it's hard to have passion when there's no compelling purpose because purpose creates passion. Right? If you know you believe, if it's something you, you have a purpose to do, you know the purpose behind it, you're excited to do it, it creates that passion. Right? You know it's making a difference. Purpose creates passion. But what's the usual purpose of work? In your, don't answer because it's going to get awkward. But the real purpose of work, for a lot of us, it's to get ahead, right? Maybe to, to do a little bit better than our coworkers so we can get promoted. Maybe to do better than our competition so that we, we get most of the cu- customers. Maybe it's just to get through another year just so you're one step closer to retirement or one step up on the pay grade. Maybe it's, through, maybe it's just to get through another phase of your kids, right? If you're a stay-at-home parent. So that you can hopefully have it easy, easier when they're older. If you're a student, maybe your purpose is just to pass, keep your parents and your teachers happy, and, and, and get to another grade. Right? Maybe your purpose to work is just so that you can get to another vacation. When that becomes our purpose, most of life really just becomes monotonous, kind of routine, just going through the motions, dry, right? Not at all what we had hoped for when we said, someday I want to be, and now I'm just this. You know what's interesting is Jesus actually talks about this. And his solution to it is so simple. But it's also, as usual with Jesus, it's pretty counterintuitive. But whether you're a Jesus follower or not, and if you're not a Jesus follower and you're here or you're listening or watching, you are in the right place because we designed all of this for you. Whether you're a Jesus follower or not, what we're going to see that Jesus said about this whole idea is that really, I think it's some of the best career, some of the best life advice you're ever going to hear. I think really, you know, whether you're traditionally employed or not, what Jesus says, what we're going to look at, really can change everything that you, you have to do. It can change how you look at everything you have to do, which is kind of what we say work is, right? Things you have to do. And this one simple idea really will make your life better. Are you ready for it? Like, I'm going to give it to you right up front, and then I'll try to prove that I'm right, okay? But here's the idea. To be who you want to be, make people your purpose. To be who you want to be, make people your purpose. You're like, John, that sounds really familiar. You've talked about that. I know. It's simple, right? It's a very simple idea, but it's not easy, so let me explain it. Let, let's, see, let's see what Jesus says about this whole idea. What we're going to do, we're going to go to, uh, we call it the Gospel of Matthew, but really it's, it's an eyewitness account of Jesus' life. Matthew was one of Jesus' close friends. We call him disciples. He started out, uh, we see him first in history, in, um, he was a tax collector for the Romans. He's a, he's a Jewish guy, ancient Jewish guy who was working for the Romans. And if you kind of know a little bit of that history, the Romans had conquered Israel, and so the Jewish people hated Rome. But Matthew was kind of a traitor working for the Romans. And Jesus walks by his tax collecting booth one day and says, hey, Matthew, follow me. Like, not just like follow me, but be one of my guys. Be one of the guys I am going to create this whole movement after. And so that's where we first see Matthew, and he, he became a Jesus follower. He, he became one of his disciples, came one of the, the witnesses of Jesus' life. And so he wrote it down so that we actually have a, an account 
of what Jesus did. And in this account, he tells a story about two other disciples, two brothers named James and John. And uh, their nickname was the Sons of Thunder. Maybe their dad was loud or they just, there's a story about them wanting to call down fire on a village because they made fun of Jesus. And Jesus is like, you guys need to chill out. But in this story, James and John, being the strong, independent men they are, go to their mom and ask their mom to ask Jesus that when he becomes king of the world, can they be his number two and number three guy? Right? Because everybody thought, you know, if, if Jesus really is the Jewish Messiah, the promised one, he's going to conquer Rome, he's going to pr- produce this, this huge uh, global kingdom and bring peace on earth through military force. You know, like everybody's kind of looking to the government to solve, you know, to be the, the fix and all that kind of stuff, and they wanted this Jesus government. And so mom goes and, and asks Jesus, hey, Jesus, you know, oh, my sons know nothing about this, right? Hey, Jesus, you know, when you, when you become king, couldn't... Could James and John like be your number two and number three? And they're, the funny thing is they're standing right behind her, right? So the account says that they're, they're standing right there, and he turns to her and like, you guys don't know what you're talking about, right? My kingdom's not going to be what you think it is, and to actually be part of my kingdom is going to be a lot harder than you think. And he says, in fact, it's not even up to me who does that. That's up to my heavenly father. Well, the fun thing about this is the other disciples hear about it. They hear that James and John asked their mommy to go to Jesus and say, hey, can you promote my sons over these other chumps? Right? That's a great way to to, win friends and influence people, right? (laughs) Trying to advance yourself over your colleagues by having your mom do it for you. Sounds like millennials. (laughs) I'm I'm a millennial. It's okay. I was just kidding. (laughs) Did you hear that pause? That's because I was thinking if I should do it or not, and then it just happened. I apologize. Millennials are way better than... I'm just going to stop. Okay. (laughs) Jeez. All right. So the other disciples hear about it, and they're super angry. And so Jesus uses this as a lesson of uh, really teaching something that can, I think, change your life, change your business if if you own a business or work in a business. And honestly, if we all really took this to heart, Jesus follower or not, it would change the world. So here's, here's what Jesus talks about in Matthew 20, starting at verse 25. So this is right after they all find out they're all mad. And so Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles, people who aren't Jews, the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. And the disciples are like, yeah, right? That the, the rulers rule. They exercise authority. They're in charge. That's kind of how the world works, Jesus. Thanks for stating the obvious. And they said, you know, that's, that's why we came to you, asking if we could, you know, help be in charge, because we want to be those guys. When you come into your kingdom and you, you set up your, your rule, we want to rule with you. That's, like, that's why we're following you, because you're the one who's going to finally put the, the Jewish nation back on the map, and we want to be able to rule everyone. Isn't, I mean, Jesus, isn't that why we've been working so hard so that we can be in charge someday and, and rule over the Romans? Isn't that why we've been working so hard, Jesus? Now think about it. Isn't that kind of, in a sense, why you've been working so hard too? To be able to have people work for you so you don't have to do all the work? To be able to call your own shots because you could totally do it better than the people who are in charge? Right? Those they who keep messing everything up. Someday you'll be a they and you'll, you'll be able to have the authority. 
So you can have, you know, working so hard so that, you know, you can have freedom, you can have space to do what you actually want to do. I think we're very similar to these, to these disciples. They like, so yeah, Jesus, great. Okay, you're stating the obvious. That's what we want. That's what everybody wants. And so Jesus goes on. Not so with you. And they're like, ah, crap. They, they should have known, but it's Jesus, right? They should have known it was coming. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Oh, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. That's harsh. Just as the Son of Man, Jesus' favorite term for himself, Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. They're like, I knew, we should have known Jesus was going to say something like this, right? He set it up. And we're like, yeah, of course. And he knocks it down. But look at this. According to Jesus, the secret to greatness is being for others. According to Jesus, the secret to being great is actually being for others. Having their interests in mind. Looking out for them and not yourself. Promoting them and not you. Right? It doesn't make sense at first, does it? To be great, make yourself less. To be the, the one with power, make yourself a slave. Like Greatness means greater. <laughs> You're greater than them. You are better than them. You have more authority than them. Greatness means you get ahead. Greatness means you finally get to be served. You don't have to serve anymore because now you are great. Now you are the boss. It doesn't make sense. But if you dig a little bit deeper, you actually see the genius in this. Whether you believe Jesus rose from the dead or not, this is a genius idea to make people your purpose. Like, you want to be great? You want to really have a great life? You want to really be successful? You really want to be who you want to be? Make your purpose people. Make people your purpose. Why? Well, first of all, this whole idea can change your work. Whatever you call work, this whole idea of making people your purpose can change your work into a passion. Seeing people as your purpose gives purpose to your job. I'll, I'll, I'll keep going. Seeing people as your purpose gives purpose to your job, and purpose, as we said earlier, creates passion, right? You have a purpose in your job, you can be passionate about it. Now, whether you, whether you run a huge company or whether you, you serve coffee, and that's, that's your job, you can use, we all can use every day and every encounter as a way to make someone's life better. We can use every day as a way to be for someone. Going out of your way to show them that they are worth the effort. Right? So if you're, if you're a barista, your job isn't to serve coffee. Right? That might be what you do in the meantime, but really your job is making lives better. Your job is looking for a way to be for Somebody, whether it's your coworker, whether it's your customer, whether it's your boss. Like, think about it. I mean, this doesn't have to be a church thing in any way. Like, we, we don't know what others are dealing with, right? We all carry around hurts that we don't show. We don't have signs that say, I'm having a horrible day, or, you know, things aren't going the way I planned, or, you know, my kids did this. 
We don't wear those signs, but we all have something in us that we're carrying throughout our days. Who knows what a smile and a great experience at your business would do for somebody? It can go a long way. Think about a coworker who has your back. It's one of the most encouraging things in the world. And we, we all know this. Study after study shows that the most rewarding jobs, the jobs that really produce passion, that produce purpose, that give you, you know, like, man, I just want to get up in the morning and go to work, those types of the most rewarding jobs aren't about salary. Right? The most rewarding jobs are not the best-paying jobs. The most rewarding jobs are about helping people. Doctors, nurses, teachers. Those are the most rewarding jobs. But if you apply this, this principle... And that can be any job that you have. Any job could be the most rewarding job because it could be about people. If you make people your purpose, any job can be rewarding. Any job can have purpose. In fact, making people your purpose gives purpose to any job. Does that make sense? Right? No matter what you do, there are people there. Right? Even if you work remotely and you're, you, know, you work online and stuff, you're still interacting with people in some way. And if you make people your purpose, not your task, that you get paid for, but make the people that you're working with or for or serving your purpose, then there's purpose in that job. And it's just good for business. Right? Think about it. Who would you rather give your business to? And as good Oregonians, I think I know the answer you're all going to say. Who would you rather give your business to? Some distant corporation that treats you like another number right? <laughs> or a place that calls you by name and actually cares about you, asks you about your life, and invests the money you give them, some of the money you give them, into, back into your community, right? You might even pay a little extra for that type of experience. Who would you rather work with? Someone who is obviously only out for themselves and trying to, to get ahead no matter who they hurt or who they stab in the back? Or work with somebody who cares about the team and really only calls it a win for themselves if the team as a whole wins. That's who you'd rather work with, right? Whose ideas would you be more likely to listen to? Somebody who's out for themselves or somebody you know is for the team, for you? Which employee do you think you would most likely promote? The one who's obviously just buttering you up so they can get that promotion or the one who actually cares about the company and the people in it and the people that you serve? Now, which company would you rather work for? Here's, your, here's our usual company, right? You got the boss at the top and then you have managers, assistant to the regional manager, and then you have employees at the bottom, right? And it all trickles down. The boss is in charge, and the manager kind of supports the boss's ideas, and then the employees do what the managers tell them to do, and they kind of make the managers look good, the managers make the boss look good, and then, you know, the shareholders are happy and all that kind of stuff, right? That's usual. That's usually how we see things. But what if it was like this? The boss is at the bottom. And he says, my job is to support those above me. My job is to make sure that these guys shine. And my job is to make sure that the managers know their job is to make the employees shine. So that whoever comes in contact with us knows that we are for them. And we could put like, if you know, it was a, a business selling things, you could put customer above employee, right? Where would you rather work? Where you're working for them or you know they are supporting you and pouring into you and trying to make you the best you you can be. That they see their job as supporting you. 
Right? It's a no-brainer. You would rather work here. You know the difference between a boss and a leader? A boss says, you're here to make me look good. Right? A leader says, I'm here to make you look good. Would you rather work for a boss or a leader? See, if you think about it, being for others is what's good for you. Being for others is what's good for you. The, my, uh, on Christmas, my little girl Quinn, she's going to be four, she got one of those frozen tents with a sleeping bag. By the way, Frozen 2 went nuts. Have you seen all the marketing for them and all the, like there's Frozen 2 toilet paper. This is crazy. <laughs> but she got a tent and a sleeping bag and all that, and uh, she, she being four wanted to take the tent in her room and out of her room, in her room and all out of her room, and me being the good dad who had the day off was moving the tent. Well, it got stuck in the hall, and being the guy I am, I carefully moved. No, I just shoved it through, right? Tent pole snaps. I know. Day after Christmas, the tent pole snaps. And I go, goodness, what am I going to do? <laughs> and so I did a little research online. I, I looked at some numbers. I called one company. The phone, the number didn't exist. So I found a, and I was like, great, you know, dad of the year. Let's call another number, and this guy answers. It wasn't a robot. It was just a guy. He's like, hey, how can I help you? And he said, hey, I, I need a tent pole for this, for this tent. Is that what you guys do? He's like, oh, yeah, how can I help you? And we're kind of going through. He's getting my, his computer was slow because they're using the day after Christmas to revamp their system and stuff. He's like, hey, I'm really sorry. I'm like, no, no, it's totally cool. Thank you. I said, thanks for working the day after Christmas. He's like, well, somebody's got to do it. You know, we got, we got to help each other out. And it was like the best customer service experience I've ever had in my life. Like, my wife was laughing at me because we were best friends by the time we were done with our conversation. <laughs> and guess what? Afterward, because he had my email and all that to send the tent pole thing, and it came right away, there was, there was a little button where I could do a evaluation of my conversation. Guess who got the best review they've ever had in their life? <laughs> that guy. Because it was amazing. He, he was obviously for me. He was making sure that, you know, my little daughter had her tent pole from her Christmas gift that dad broke. And he was, like, I wrote, this is the best experience I've ever had. You should promote this guy. And I don't know if they got it, but think about it. Like, being for others really is what's, what's best for you. Now, whether, you're, whether you believe, like I said, whether you believe Jesus died and rose again, being for people really is just good advice. Right? It's just a good way to be, to, to run a business, all of that. But for a Jesus follower, it's not just advice. It's actually what is supposed to define a Jesus follower. See, Jesus followers are to model the Jesus we say we follow. Jesus followers are to model the Jesus we say we follow. I was hoping that would rhyme better out loud, but it doesn't. And now, right before Jesus gave the ultimate example of being for people by dying for us, right? If somebody will die for you, they are obviously for you. He, did an, he gave us actually another example of what it, what it looks like to be for others. And maybe you've heard of this before, or you've seen the Da Vinci painting of the Last Supper, right? They, I don't even know what's, where supper lies between lunch and dinner and all that, but... So they, they're having the disciples and Jesus are in a room having their last meal together, 
right before he knows he's, he's going to be betrayed and he's going to be arrested and crucified and all that. So he's having one last dinner and they, they sit down to dinner. And in the time, in that time period, you know, people wear sandals and it's, it's ancient Israel. And so there's, there's dust in the streets and there's, there's, there's cow or not cow, I don't know what cows, but animal stuff in the streets, right? And people would just you know, they didn't have flushing toilets, so they just threw stuff in the street, and so you're walking. And when you sit down at a meal in that, that culture, you're not sitting at a chair and table, right? You're kind of just sitting on the floor with the food right there, and your feet are right there. And so it was customary for a servant to wash people's feet, to get all that grime off so that it's not disgusting to eat your food with your hands, right? And they sit down, and they start eating, and nobody's willing to, to do the foot washing. There's no servant there. And they're kind of just Say, well, okay, I'm, I'm not doing it, right? James and John are definitely not doing it. <laughs> Peter's like, well, yeah, I'm not doing that either. And so here's, no one's willing to do it. And so here's what happens. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So I think that's a great way to say Jesus knew who he was. He's like, I am God. I, he knows that everything in the universe is under his power. So knowing that, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. Remember what I said? It was on those feet. Drying them with a the towel that was wrapped around him. Just a little bit more. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. He's saying, look, this whole thing, what, we, I've, been, what I've been teaching you for three years, day in and day out, is about serving. Me, I, your master, your God, served you in this disgusting way so that you can serve others. And because of Jesus, we can serve. If you're a Jesus follower, you have the Spirit of God living in you. We talked about it last, last week with the fruit of the Spirit. That when, when, when you follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes into you and starts transforming you from the inside out and you start displaying the qualities of Jesus. And he's saying, look, now that I've done it for you, you can do it for each other. And so we have a bunch of buckets of water and towels and we're gonna take each other's shoes off and wash each other's feet. Are you ready? I'm just kidding. You're okay. That's, that's never going to happen here, I promise. And so what's best for us is to be for others. And you're probably thinking, because you're smart thinkers, maybe you're like Chris and you try to Google everything I say, you might be thinking, yeah, but. Right? That's, that's nice and all, you know, it's Jesus, he's God, he kind of has to do that stuff. But, you know, what about that guy at work who keeps stabbing me in the back? Am I supposed to be for him? Like, you know, I got to get this promotion. I got mouths to feed, and he, I'm supposed to be for him. I'm supposed to help him. What about that customer who screams in my face, and it's not even my fault? What about that kid, whether you're a teacher or a parent, who is constantly testing me and pushing my buttons? What about when no one understands or appreciates what I do for them? How much am I supposed to be for them? Those are, I think, really fair really good, really real questions, and we love questions here. But as we ask those questions, let's take another look at who actually got their feet washed 
by Jesus. Right? Matthew was there. Hated tax collector, traitor to his people. Got his feet washed by Jesus. Two brothers who asked their mommy to talk to Jesus for them to get them ahead of the others got their feet washed by Jesus. Peter, who when Jesus was on trial and needed a friend, would deny that he even knew Jesus because he was scared of a little teenage girl finding out that he was a follower of Jesus. All of these guys whose feet Jesus washed would abandon him by the next day and lose total faith in him. And Jesus washed the feet, got down on his hands and knees, and washed the feet of the man who had already agreed to betray him that night, Judas. Jesus washed Judas's feet, knowing full well Jesus, Judas had already been paid to betray him and was going to do it in a couple hours. And he humbled himself and washed Judas's feet. That's greatness. That's true greatness. See, true greatness is being for someone before they are for you. True greatness. If you want to truly be great, you want to truly change the world and have amazing purpose in life, it's being for someone before they are for you. This is kind of a, it's, like I said, it's, it's simple, but it's not easy. And so what do we, how do we do this? Like, you can't just go out and do it all at once, right? It's, it's kind of got to become part of us. And so what do we do? I think we take some simple, easy baby steps. And so I have a challenge for all of us, and I think we can do it. I don't even know all of you, but I think you can do it. I believe in you. Does that make you feel encouraged? Okay, here's your challenge for five days. Once a day for the next five days, purposely do something for someone else. Just once a day, for five days, purposely do something for someone else. The more you dislike them, the more points you're going to get. <laughs> the bigger prize you'll get next week. We're not doing that, but... Be on the lookout on how to be for someone. Maybe celebrate them publicly and make sure their supervisor is there. Write an encouraging note, a handwritten note is amazing, or send a text letting them know you are cheering them on, that they're not alone, that you see how hard they work. Maybe ask how you can help. If you're, if you're a student, you can still do this. The number one lie for students is that you have to wait to actually do something that matters. No, you don't. You want to know how old John was, the disciple of Jesus? He was probably like 15, 16. You don't have to wait to do something that matters. You don't have to wait to change somebody's life. Tell it, like, don't do it when the other kids are around because you get made fun of, but tell a teacher that you appreciate the work they put into that class. Maybe do it in front of the kids. Publicly say or post something good about someone else, not you, and not someone you have a crush on. Maybe sit by the kid who eats alone. This is weird. Students, tell your parents you appreciate them. Don't, don't nudge them. It doesn't count if you make it happen. Maybe do something extra around the house. Maybe you're retired and you're like, well, I don't, I don't have a job. It's nice. Want to know what your number one lie is that people try to tell you, that tries to sneak in? It's that you've done your part now. Right? You worked hard and now it's over. Now you can just cruise and everybody can serve you. 
right? That's where you get that crotchety old man, get off my lawn, right? Is that who you want to be? Don't raise your hand. But what a perfect way to waste your life to think that you're already done, right? You've done it all. How, how can you be for someone? Ask a young parent how you can help. You've been there. Have coffee with someone who could use some encouragement. Maybe find a young, a young person and just hang out with them. Maybe, maybe mentor them, right? Us young people, we don't know what we're doing. We act like we do, but we don't. Maybe you could help them out. Go, go clean your kid's house while they're at work. Mom. <laughs> maybe offer free babysitting to a couple, right? You could save a marriage just by offering, hey, I'll babysit your kids every other week so you guys can go out on a date. Wouldn't that be, that'd be awesome. Stay-at-home parents, right? You know what your number one lie is? You're just a parent, right? You don't matter to society. You're just there for your kids. It's just two, three, four, or five, stop there, kids. What's, what's that going to make? You know, this, and you know this, but maybe you need to be reminded. Being a parent is one of the most, if not the most, important jobs in the world, you think, yeah, but, you know, every minute of my day is being for someone. Like, that's, that's kind of my life. I'm always for someone. And that's true, and that's why you're amazing. But maybe you could reach out to another parent in your situation and be like, hey, my day sucked. How's your day going? You're not alone. Tell your, I know you do this, but it's a different motivation. Tell your kids what you do for them, but tell them Why? Because you love them and you believe in them and you know that they're going to grow into something awesome and you want to be a part of that, right? It's, it could be as simple as putting a note in a lunchbox. could be, like my, my wife, I, I love getting to have a microphone here because I can brag about my wife and score huge points. So, you know what my wife did? She wrote little notes on hearts like, I believe in you, you know, I, I'm for you, I'm with you. And when the kids, or yeah, the kids were at school, she taped them to their door. And so when they got home, they knew that, you know, she was thinking about them and she is for them. Pretty amazing. But remember, being for others is what's good for you. That simple idea, I really think, can change your life. And really, if, we, if you think about it, if we all were like that, it would change our city, change our country. That's why we love the whole for Salem idea, because that's, that's what it's about, is being for others. Like, imagine hundreds or thousands of Salemites choosing to be for others, choosing to be for people who might not even be for them, who might vote differently than them, who might think differently than them, but still being for them, seeing their daily purpose as being for others, for their customers, for their employees, for their coworkers, for their bosses, for their students, for their teachers. And in the process of being for others, becoming who they actually want to be. That would be amazing. Because here's the thing. The best job is a job that's for someone else. The best job you could have is a job that is for someone else. And any job can be that if you choose to make it that. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you that... You showed what it was like to be for people who weren't for you, that you took the first step and that you, you came and you died for us before we even knew about it, before we even knew we needed that. 
So thank you for loving us. Thank you for showing us what it means to, to be great by serving. Give us the courage and, and the patience to be for the people around us, to see our, our work and our lives as an opportunity to, to be for others, to, to have a life that has purpose and meaning by making other lives better. Thank you for everything you are and everything you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we're going to wrap this series up next week, and then like we said earlier, there's going to be no service in two weeks, but uh, you can still invite a friend. We're going to talk about uh, being, like a, being a good neighbor, basically. So we'll talk about State Farm, like a good neighbor, State Farm. Anyway, hey, have a great week. Uh, there's some great treats and snacks out there, and we'll see you next week.